Welcome to the Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Chris Grayton. This is a special bonus conversation with our guest, Samita Sunya. Samita, nice to have you on the podcast. Chris, thank you for having me here. Uh, for our listeners, you can check out our full conversation with Samita about her research on the 1001 Nights uh, in world cinema, including in the cinema of the Middle East and South Asia. Uh, in this bonus conversation, we're going to just talk about a film series that uh, Samita is bringing to the Charlottesville Film Festival. Uh, Samita Sunya is, like me, an assistant professor at University of Virginia uh, and has organized a collection of comedy films uh, from the Middle East and North Africa that will be shown in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, this November, November 2018. I'm looking forward to the series, Samita. Likewise. Um, we actually showed these films in a sort of run of special U.S. preview presentations before their premieres that are going to happen in November. And one thing that's, I think, very striking is that at least two of the films were blockbusters in their respective production contexts, Morocco and Egypt. But yet this was the first time that these films were ever being screened in the U.S. and the official premiere will be at the Virginia Film Festival. So part of this is also in thinking about through what pipelines films come to us and um, curatorial work that can address those structures to round out the kinds of films that audiences are watching here. Right. And our listeners will know that films from the region occasionally do hit it big on the global market, um, even winning Oscars. Of course, Ashkar Farhadi from uh, Iran has done quite well in the U.S., but I know from my own experience that the, the Middle Eastern films that tend to resonate or at least have commercial success and, and critical acclaim in the U.S., they speak to certain interests of audiences here. And right? even the example that you mentioned, Oscar Farhadi, it's perfect because what he was most recently known for, The Salesman, mm -hmm. um, as the kind of Oscar winner, um, especially during the time of the quote-unquote Muslim ban and the tragedy of that circumstance of him not even being able to travel to get the award. The interesting thing about The Salesman is that when it released in Iran, the film that outdid The Salesman at the box office was a film called Salam Mumbai, which if you watch it, it's kind of like almost B-film-like, mm -hmm. hearkening back towards some of the like 60s, 70s popular Iranian cinema. And Salam Mumbai is an India-Iran co-production starring an Iranian actor opposite an Indian actress mm -hmm. in this kind of transnational love story. So this is also interesting in terms of a film being very, very popular, even more popular than The Salesman when right. it hit it at the box office in Iran, but yet very little talked about outside of that. So this is not to say that a film has to be popular to talk about it, but mm -hmm. rather just to think about our understandings of the heterogeneity of films being made in other parts of the world and how that may sometimes be limited by either art house or festival or other right. circuits. Right. A lot of the most popular films from the region, of course, yeah. never make it to yes. uh, the U.S. market because they're not for the U.S. market. And 
as I understand it, your series in the Virginia Film Festival is kind of one that, of course, it's comedies. So already yeah. it's you get you get a real good sense of some cultural specificity and yeah. some tastes of the of the people from the region through these films. But also they show a lot of what we might call South South connections. Like yes. what you talked about, connections with South Asia and within the region itself, yes. rather than with Europe and the United States as a reference point. And not to say that that's, you know, sort of self-contained as, you know, some kind of world of the global South that's disjunct from the West, but rather to say that those connections along exist alongside mm-hmm. um, other circuits of and movements of of people, of industries, of films. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, the film that the series opens with Road to Kabul, this is the stoner comedy. So riffing mm-hmm. on a, ho- a very, very quintessentially Hollywood genre, it's a stoner movie come road movie. Um, but the premise of the film is that in the second half of the film, these young Moroccan men are taking a road trip to find their friend in Afghanistan's and while they're driving towards Afghanistan the track is is overlain with a Hindi song playing mm-hmm. so this is also a sort of vaguely eastward gesture but also something that is gesturing towards the popularity of Hindi films as well in Morocco, across the Middle East and North Africa, alongside the circulation of Hollywood genres um, that are sort of being riffed on in this comedy that's actually addressing a long history of the U.S.'s presence in the Middle East between Hollywood on one hand and the war on terror on Mm -hmm. the other. Yeah. So Road to Kabul is a Moroccan film, mm-hmm. stoner comedy about a trip to Afghanistan. Uh, what are some of the other films that are showing in the festival? The second film is a film called Beer Baba Hindu, an Indian godfather. And it's a gangster comedy, the premise of which is that a Turkish mafioso falls in love with his Indian yoga instructor. Um, And it's also a spoof on yoga because you you have these scenes in the film where these mafia members, after this kind of bloody shootout, are doing yoga to de-stress. So it's also critiquing (laughs) the way in which, you know, yoga is like this band-aid for problems that are probably a lot bigger than yoga to be able to solve. Right. Um, And then suddenly she's kidnapped. And when the dawn sort of pursues her and goes to Mumbai to try to find his love interest, he comes to realize that she's also the daughter of a mafiosa in Bombay. (laughs) Um, So it's also, again, riffing on a genre that has both a long Hollywood history as well as a history in Turkish cinema, as well as a longer history in Hindi films. Oh, that's interesting. So you have a film from Morocco, from Turkey. You said there's a film from Egypt as well? Yes. So the third film is a film called Gahim Felhind, Hell in India. This was a blockbuster in 2016. And um, similar to an Indian godfather, it's shot in two lo- locations um, in 
um, both Egypt and in India. The premise of the film is that the Indian ambassador, sorry, the Egyptian ambassador to Egypt gets kidnapped in India and through a miscommunication um, by accident, a mi the military band instead of a diplomatic convoy is sent to negotiate his release. So it's uh, to, to, to absolutely hilarious ends. Um, I mean, the kind of absurdity of the plot lines and let's just say the film involves an extended love story with the gorilla, um, a fantastic happy birthday song dance sequence. Uh -huh. I don't think these are spoilers. Um, but there's just a lot packed into this film. And so when you say military band, you mean musicians, yes, a band. Yes. So sort of like the band's visit, that Israeli film about the Egyptian diplomacy through... Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people have asked about that connection, whether this film is riffing on that. Um, you know, I'm not sure uh, if, if that's the case. Uh, this is... I think much more absurd, right? Um, much less controversial mm -hmm. as well. And upon watching the trailer, you might think that this film is problematic in giving play to a lot of stereotypes of India, a land of gorillas and elephants and cannibals, etc. But as one of my friends put it, it almost out stereotypes these stereotypes by making them so by taking them so far and ultimately the film ends up being actually an homage to the long history and popularity of Indian films Bollywood in mm -hmm. Egypt right and I think that's a good place to interject for our audience and mention that you know, you're talking about all of these connections between Middle East cinema and South Asian cinema. And, and that does go back quite a ways to the, to the days in which sort of Bollywood was in its rise and peak. Um, and Bollywood films were showing throughout the Middle East, especially in Egypt. And in turn, through the Egyptian film industry, those influences from Bollywood were working their way into Arab cinema as a whole. And Turkey and Iran have, I guess, similar experiences in that regard. Absolutely. And as the eminent film historian Hamid Nafisi has noted, there's a way in which, especially in the 60s, even before that, 50s and through the 70s, there was a certain way in which the form of popular Indian, Egyptian, Turkish, and Iranian films were mutually intelligible in certain ways. Um, romantic storylines, mm -hmm. melodrama, fight sequences, song dance sequences, where they translated very well to one another. So this is not to say that the exchanges were always even, mm -hmm. Um but but to say that in these circuits of, you know, for example, um, Indian popular films in Egypt, as well as other places across the Middle East and North Africa, that there was a, a kind of intelligibility of those mm -hmm. films, where, whereas in this period in the West, a lot of the kind of press about these films were, you know, took the tone of, oh my gosh, like, what are these films? They lack unity. They're very crude. Mm -hmm. um, so that was not the case among a lot of audiences that were already familiar with this kind of form of cinema, the right. song dance form. Right. And it's also not to say that, as you've already emphasized, that the cinemas of the Middle East were not 
deeply connected also to Hollywood and global cinema uh, at the time. Yes, in, absolutely. In Turkish cinema, you see the influence of you know Hollywood sort of B film spoofs of Hollywood films such as Superman, Batman, Star Wars, etc. Uh, drawing on the spaghetti western genre mm-hmm. from Italy. So you have this very interesting global cross-pollination of cinema taking place uh, throughout the region that Yes, you know, precisely. A variety of genres became intelligible to audiences through this process, I guess. Yeah, and to see the kind context in which these genres move around, how they move around, how they speak to audiences in a particular time and place. So for example, the uh, Road to Kabul, the Moroccan stoner comedy with which this little series opens, the context of these stoners stoning in the opening of the film is the context of unemployment. And this is this film came out in 2012. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is in a moment where youth unemployment is a huge issue across the Arab world in this moment. So the stoning in this genre of the stoner comedy is also right. a wider commentary on another issue. Right. Yeah. And a very central issue in the events of, uh, you know, what we refer to as the Arab Spring, yes. right? We, it's, yes. we should remember that in Egypt and Tunisia, some of the earliest... Uh, protests centered around um, the issue of unemployment. Exactly. And on an international festival circuit, this would not be the film that would be picked up as a film addressing unemployment or the Arab Springs. But yet when one watches it, I think that the film actually does offer a very, very interesting and entertaining commentary on this moment. Um, to the extent that it spoke very well to wide audiences when it came out. Well, you know, Samita, with my modern Middle East class this semester, I showed a number of films. And uh, in part, after talking to you, I I gave a couple comedies for that reason, because Mm -hmm. I think people in the United States who who are interested in learning more about the Middle East uh, still tend to gravitate towards stories of tragedy or stories of suffering, victimization, violence even, um, if you look at how the Middle East is portrayed in Hollywood. And of course, this doesn't do justice to the diverse emotional experience of people in the region. So why don't you, why don't we finish up? Let us know what are some of the other f- comedies that are showing in the in the film, the Virginia Film Festival this November? I actually don't know yet because we haven't, um, you know, finalized the program. But um, all I can say for now is that I am really grateful for the team um, mm-hmm. At the Virginia Film Festival, the director, Jody Kielbasa, as well as the programmer, Wesley Harris, in being very cognizant about the importance of other pipelines by which we may be able to make ourselves more aware of these films, um, to show these to audiences, to recognize the heterogeneity of filmmaking in different parts of the world, that different types of films are being made in so many places, and also to build our library collections with these films. So colleagues and friends like you will Mm -hmm. be able to use these in your classrooms or anyone coming to the UVA library will then be able to watch these films that might not otherwise be accessible. Well, we look forward to hearing about uh, the final schedule. And even if for those who hear this uh, interview in advance of the uh, film festival who want to, of course, leave their own suggestions for next time or this time, you know, about what films they think should be 
uh, playing in the festivals and which films from the region that audiences uh, in the United States should become more knowledgeable about, you know, leave us a comment in the blog or on Facebook. Of course, check out our website, AdamHistoryPodcast.com for our full interview with Samita Sunya about the history of A Thousand and One Nights in uh, world cinema. Uh, and of course, that's also where you can find all our other episodes related to culture and history in the modern Middle East. Uh, thanks for chatting, Samita. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks to all you for listening. And until next time, take care.